As we begin this morning talking about what if we focus. What if we focus. The passage of scripture we're about to read is taking place during the time of the transition between the reign of David and the reign of King Solomon. And uh, Solomon is about to assume the throne of Israel. And David says uh, to him, As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the assignment of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments, his ordinances and his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn, so that the Lord may carry out his purpose, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons are careful in their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all of their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne. And I want to focus this morning on those uh, few words right there in verse 3. Keep the assignment of your God. We're going to talk about what if you focus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to be in your house and for the joy and privilege of being servants of the Lord. Uh, we're conscious this morning that we can do nothing apart from your Holy Spirit. And yet we're also aware that if we are led and empowered by your Spirit, nothing is impossible to those that believe. We ask you, Father, for that grace uh, this morning, uh, the grace to teach your word, as well as the grace to receive the word taught. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to speak on several levels this morning. I already mentioned that I'm speaking to us as a church, but I also want to speak to you as individuals. And I want to speak on the individual level, not only to you as an individual with regard to your ministry or your service to the body of Christ, but also... Um, your relationship and your ministry in your, in your career, in the world that you live in. Now, not everybody has been called by God to be a preacher. Now, not everybody is called to be uh, a leader in the, in the church. All of us, however, are called by God to be on assignment for him wherever it is that we work, wherever it is that we are. So if you are in a career that has nothing to do with preaching, nothing to do with praying for the sick or laying hands on people and so on, uh, you're nevertheless in charge, entrusted by God with the responsibility of being a light in that marketplace, of being salt and light in the world. And uh, many times a church uh, either... Uh, goes to an extreme one way or the other. Sometimes we think that the only people God can use are the people that are uh, in the pulpit, that are the people that are in the, in the choir stands, or the people that are carrying out the ministry uh, in, in uh, public view. 
And we neglect the fact that many, and probably I could say most of the people that God used in the Old Testament were people that he used in places of public influence. Think about Moses. Moses was uh, used by God, but he was raised in a political household. Joseph was used by God, but he never preached sermons. Joseph was used by God as a leader in a, in, a, in a Potiphar's house, a leader in the prison, and then a leader in government. Daniel was a leader in government. And on and on as you go through, you begin to see that God has assignments for us to fulfill in every place in our life, in every area and aspect of our, of our community there should be believers who are on assignment focused on what God has for them to do. Es importante esta mañana reconocer que hay una asignación, un trabajo que Dios ha dado a todas las personas, todos nosotros, uh, y aunque no sea predicar o tener un oficio en la iglesia, usted siendo... Uh, Aparte de la cultura de la comunidad, si está trabajando en una empresa o es líder de una empresa o si es uh, alguien que está limpiando casas o que es maestro, su, tu, su trabajo no es uh, menos. En los ojos de Dios tiene la responsabilidad de estar usted trabajando en el asignamiento y el trabajo que Dios le ha dado. So if you are in the marketplace, I want you to hear this this morning as speaking to you as well. And if you're in the ministry, I want you to be thinking of this as well. Because it is a message for every person here this morning. And uh, it's important for us to know that because otherwise we start to divide between what's for God and what's for, for me. Uh, if, I, if I show up and go to work in the morning... That's, and do a good job, it's just as much for God as coming to church and raising your hands and singing a song. Say amen, somebody. Amen. All right, so the, the assignment that God has given every person is unique to every person, and it's going to be uh, something that I want us to discuss this morning as we discuss focus. But first I want to talk about focus for a little while, for a, little, a few minutes, because I find that most people... Never really focus. Um, la realidad es que la mayoría de las personas nunca aprenden a enfocarse. They never really learn to focus. When David is about to transition the throne of Israel to, to Solomon, he is aware that they're going to come into Solomon's life Hundreds of opportunities to get distracted. There are going to come endless opportunities to get off of his course, off of his message. And if, um, if we really think about most people in, in our country and perhaps in all the world, most people never really focus on what it is that God has created them to do. We do a little of this and a little of that. We dabble. How many of you dabble? Uh, you just kind of play around. I remember in college that most of, my, um, most of my college classmates changed their majors several times before graduation. 
they started out wanting to be a doctor, then they decided they're going to be an architect, and then they decided they're going to be a professor, and then they decided they're going to be uh, something else. And then, you know, in America, we have a, an entire degree dedicated to people who can't focus, right, that, that can't pick a, 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 uh, a, an area of specialization. And so we have something called general studies. Right, that's, that's an entire degree dedicated to people who don't know what they're going to do. And oftentimes, lo, uh, time is lost because of the lack of focus. And so the question this morning is, what if you focus? What if, what if the church focused on being the church? What if the... Uh, the, the people gathered in here this morning for this year focused entirely on the purpose and assignment that God has on their life. I think we would be an army, a force to be reckoned with if we were a focused people. And uh, the Lord continually has to draw me into this. He has to continually call me back to focus because it's easy to get out of focus, isn't it? It's easy to get your eyes on the wrong things. That's why by, by today, what's today, February 10th? By February 10th, most people have already lost their New Year's resolutions. Right? Anybody already given up? No, Pastor, I'm just getting started, right? All right, well, why does that happen? Because we lose focus. We, we get distracted by things that come along the way. And it's imperative then for us to realize that there has to be a focus on in our heart. And Solomon is given this instruction. Keep the charge. Keep the assignment that God has given you. And the, the fact is when you study the life of Solomon, he doesn't do a great job of this. Solomon is going to lose his focus. He's going to get distracted, and the results are going to be devastating for him as well as for the kingdom of Israel. So let's look at what the Bible says about focus. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25. Uh, Proverbios capítulo 4, verso 25, nos habla de el enfoque. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 25, it reads, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze or your, your eyes be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left, turn, nor turn your foot from, and turn your foot from evil. So we see there that God says we need to have a focused vision, a focused eyesight. Our eyes need to be focused. And primarily what the scripture teaches us is that we're to be focused on who? On Jesus, right? The scripture says in the book of Hebrews to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. La escritura nos enseña... Enfocar nuestros ojos en Jesús, el autor y consumidor de nuestra fe. 
And so I believe this. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to get to the prize. You're going to get to the target. Si usted guarda sus ojos en Jesús, va a llegar a la meta. Va a llegar al lugar apropiado. Al lugar donde Dios le ha llamado a estar. And if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to have your eyes on the assignment that he has for you. Si usted tiene sus ojos en Jesús, va a tener sus ojos en el, en la, en el trabajo, la tarea que Dios tiene para usted. Another portion of scripture says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. It says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Think about that. Focus requires discipline. And the scripture tells us that no discipline for the moment is pleasant. Um, most, most of us normal people don't enjoy working out. Right? We don't enjoy running. We don't enjoy having to uh, do push-ups or... Uh, jumping jacks or any of those things. Uh, some, some abnormal people enjoy that. But most of us normal people who live on earth, they don't enjoy it. But it is necessary, isn't it? Discipline is not fun. But it is important. You and I have to discipline our lives in order for us to arrive at the place that God has for us, the, the, the place of success that God has for us. And this is true for a church, it's true for an organization, it's true for your uh, individual life, it's true for your family, it's true for your business, if you are in business. Look, you and I can't do everything. Say amen, somebody. We can't do everything. You have to decide, what does God want me to do? And discipline yourself to get that done. You have to decide, I'm not going to be able to do everything. A church has to realize we can't do everything. It's very easy in, in our world for a pastor to hear, oh, so-and-so church down the street is doing this. And then everybody goes and does that. All right, let's try that now. Oh, well, that didn't work. So-and-so is doing something else. Let's try that. And back and forth, and as long as uh, a pastor or a leader of an organization is dabbling, nothing gets done. There has to be an understanding that the leader says, that's where God's taking us, and we are focused on that, we're disciplined on that. Nothing is going to get me off course. Now, uh, there's an old proverb about a tiger that was following the scent of a deer. And while it was following the scent of a deer, it smelled, uh, I guess, a rabbit crossed the trail. So it smelled the rabbit, and it started chasing after the rabbit. And then after a while, a mouse crossed, crossed the trail. So then the tiger started chasing after the mouse. And before you knew it, what was the tiger having for dinner? He was having a mouse. He could have had a deer. He could have had a big dinner. But he ended up with something small. And isn't that the way it goes? When you don't discipline yourself to do the things that God requires for you to get to the place that he's called you to get, you're going to end up with mice instead of deer. You're going to end up with the scraps. 
And God has more for us than that. But there is a discipline that has to take place. There have to be spiritual blinders put on our eyes. Not every opportunity is for you. Not everything that you hear, not everything that gets offered to you is God's will for you. Sometimes there are, there are things crossing the trail that are going to rob you of the potential that God has for your life. And the believer needs to know this. There's a place God wants me to go, and I have to focus on getting there. I have to focus on doing that and accomplishing it with my whole life. The scripture says this in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 15. If you have run with footmen and they have tired you and tired you out or worn you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Now, God has given us an instruction there through that. He's saying, look, you've got to discipline yourself in the small things. Because if you run with footmen and get tired, you're never going to be able to run with the horsemen. You're never going to be able to run after the, the significant things if you don't discipline the little things in your life. And just think about that for a minute because it's the little things that count, isn't it? If you walked, uh, let, let me just give you an analogy. If you walked a half mile every day, wouldn't that still be better than running five miles once a year? Yes. It's those little disciplines that add up. Just like little neglects add up. If you neglect the word every day, it's going to add up. If you make it a discipline to be in the word every day, even if it's a little word, that discipline becomes, every, every word becomes like a brick and a wall that is building up your life. That is building up your, your character. That's building up your faith. And this is very important because think about what is, what is it God has called you to do? If God has called you to write songs, then you need to write a little bit all the time. If God has called you to write books, you need to write a little bit all the time. If he's called you to preach, you need to preach a little bit all the time. Every chance you get, tell somebody about Jesus. If God has called you to build a business, then you need to be disciplined about doing the small things all the time. Getting those little disciplines into your life is what produces um, a life that is focused on where God is taking you, on where God wants you to go. Another thing we need to discipline is we need to discipline ourselves from distractions because there are going to be distractions that come in. Discipline doesn't get distracted. You have to say to those distractions, you're not going to take my eyes off of the prize. And uh, if, if you and I take this seriously, this idea of focus this morning, we're going to be able to get a lot further along. Think about Noah. What was Noah's focus for 100 years? Building the ark. You think that was a tough job? Yeah. Every day for 100 years, Noah worked on the ark. 
And it would have been very easy to wake up one morning and say, I'm going to take a year off. Or I'm going to take a day off. But Noah had a message. He had a mission, an assignment from God. And he got on that assignment. And for a hundred years, he worked at it until God needed what he had built. And the same is true for our life. It's true for our ministry. You have to be willing to, to focus and to do the thing God has called you to do. Disciplining the distractions. Taking those things out of the way which are going to rob you of, of your attention until you can fulfill and accomplish the thing God has called you to do. Uh, when I was a, uh, younger, I used to build, love to build model uh, airplanes. And not just the kind that you hung from uh, the ceiling, but the kind that would actually fly. All right, And these things would come in a box, and there were, it seemed, a million pieces. Now, it'd be easy to start that. How many of you ever started a model? How many of you finished them? See, the hands are fewer now. But see, I can, I can tell you that these models actually do fly because I've flown them. And I've crashed a few too. Uh, but I can, I can tell you that when, when, it, when you start out, it looks like this, uh, just a box of toothpicks, basically. It is scraps of, uh, and parts, but discipline and focus, getting this thing done piece by piece, leads you to be able to achieve something great. And uh, in my life, I've had to learn to focus because I have a passion. I love politics. All right? I love politics, but I have to focus on the ministry. I can't watch Fox News every day. Because I get out of focus. I can't listen to Rush Limbaugh every day. Right? Because I know it's distracting to me. It's distracting to me to, to think about what's going on in Washington. And the older I get, the, the more I realize that the same thing that's always gone on in Washington is still going on in Washington. All right? It's just different people, but it's the same thing. So I have to know I can't get distracted by that because God has called me to build and to plant and to uproot and to do these things in my generation, I only have one life. You only have one life. I can't spend five years of my life doing one thing and then another thing and then another five over there and another five over there and then at the end of my life say, man, I did a lot of things, but I didn't accomplish anything. I want to say I committed my life to the assignment God had on me, and I want you to be able to say the same thing. I want you to get it done. I want you to get the job done that God has for you and for your ministry and for your organization. So just quickly here, real quick, um, before I get to the meat of this, first of all, you need to focus your faith. Focus your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. In Luke chapter 9, the scripture says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He had his face and his faith set on the assignment that God had for him and that God had instructed him to to accomplish, what was Jesus' goal? What was his mission? 
tell me somebody. What was Jesus' goal? The cross. He had to get to the cross. Now, on the way there, Peter says to him, Lord, you can't go to Jerusalem because they're, they're going to kill you there. And Jesus says to Peter, who's trying to save his life, get thee behind me, Satan. How many of you would like to hear that from your pastor? Your pastor, there's a security risk. Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Peter was Jesus' friend. He's trying to do him good, but his advice was getting him off focus. You have friends like that? That will get you off focus. Now, a little later on, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's being betrayed by Judas. And when Judas comes to kiss him, what does he call Judas? Friend. Wait a minute. Peter was trying to save his life. He called him Satan. And Judas is trying to take his life. He calls him friend. Why was Judas his friend and Peter his enemy? Because Judas was part of the plan. He was part of the focus. And a lot of times, maybe when Judas has come into our life, that Judas could be a person or it could be a problem. It could be a circumstance, a setback in your life. And you look at that and you say, get thee behind me, Satan. God says, no, this is part of the plan. You need to stay focused. Meanwhile, your friends might be telling you, take it easy, relax. Don't try so hard. Don't work so hard. You don't have to preach to everybody. You don't have to pray for everybody. You don't have to build the biggest ministry that was ever built. Come on, take it easy. And you need to realize and say to those people, look, you don't know my assignment. You don't know my assignment. People tell me that all the time. Pastor, don't work so hard. Pastor, don't do so much. Pastor, you've got to take it easy. They do not know my assignment. All right? And so I can just sit around and do nothing because everybody else wants me to do that. Or I can say, you know what? I have to do all that I can while I can with what I've got because God has an assignment on my life. And guess what? God has an assignment on your life. So my, my mission this morning is to help you to focus uh, on what God has called you to do. That's focus your faith. Also focus your prayers. Pray prayers that work in the direction of what God has called you to do, of what God has required of you. Don't waste time with prayers that are complaints. God hears those too, you know, but it's not as powerful as uh, complaining about how, how hot it is is not as powerful as praying for God to create a change in the atmosphere. 
Think about the difference in that kind of prayer. Lord, it's hot. Lord, the enemy is striking hard. Woe is me. I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. When are things going to change? That's a whole different kind of prayer than when Joshua looks up and he says, Son, stand still in your place. Now, how, how many of those prayers would you like to pray? The kind of prayer that changed the atmosphere. Because you can pray complaint prayers or you can pray prayers of faith that shift the atmosphere in your life. So focus your prayers. Focus your prayers on, on, on doing that which is accomplishing the work and the will of God. Also, we need to focus our thoughts. Focus our mind. We heard about this last night. How easily it is that we can get our mind scrambled, our thoughts the scripture says this, above all, watch over your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. The thought life of every person in this room is going to decide or determine the outcome of our life. It's going to decide the outcome of our uh, effectiveness in the ministry. The scripture says also in Proverbs 23, verse 7, as a man thinks, you know it, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you think I can't, you can't. If you think I'm sick, you're sick. If you think I'm dumb, you're dumb. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So listen, if you are, if you are uh, running an organization, you got to teach people how to think. If you are running a business, you've got to teach your business how to think. Because if, if all you think about is what can't be done, you think about the problems, the setbacks, the issues, the dilemmas, then you're not going to be able to get your way out of that. You've got to think about what is, what is the, the option God has given me? Where is the solution to this problem? How can we break free from this pattern in our life? And you and I can cultivate the thoughts of God in our life. That's why it's so important to know the Word of God because the Word of God is what can cultivate your thoughts. The Word of God is what puts the what if into your spirit so that you begin to, instead of seeing a piece of paper that might be a setback in your life, a, a bill or a, uh, a, um, a lawsuit or a crisis that somebody has brought into your life, you begin to see, you know what, there are some things that God can do with this that I didn't know was possible. There are some ways that God can use this that I didn't know that he could use. But that comes with you cultivating the thoughts of the word of God in your heart and, and seeing that what, when God says 
to consider those things which be not as though they were. You begin to think the thoughts of God and say, Lord, your word says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Your word says that you did give me the power to create wealth. Your word says that no weapon formed against me will prosper because this is the inheritance of the children of God. And you begin to train your thoughts to think God's word instead of man's word. And instead of man's ideas and problems. Listen, ideas have consequences. Say it with me. Ideas have consequences. If you have the right idea, you're going to have the right consequences. If you have the wrong idea, you're going to have the wrong consequences. I read a quote this week. It says, success and failure are equal, are absolutely the same because both of them are the result of the seeds that we sow. If you sow the seeds of failure, you're going to get failure. Say amen, somebody. That's just the way it is. If you sow the seeds of success, you can have success. And the seeds of success are in the word of God. The seeds of success are in the scriptures. What is Solomon, what's the instruction David gives Solomon? Don't get away from this book. Stay in this book. Do all that is in the law of the Lord and all that he commands you. Why? Because right here in this book is the seed for our spiritual, physical, financial success. Everything that you and I need to accomplish in this life, God has put the seeds for success in his word. And we need to focus our faith on those, uh, on that word, on that seed. Let it bear fruit in our life. All right, there's three areas of focus I want to deal with uh, primarily. First is the assignment, then the alignment, and then the authority. All right, so those are the three uh, things we're going to discuss this morning. First of all, assignment, then alignment, then authority. How many of you this morning know beyond a shadow of any doubt what your assignment is? Raise your hand. All right. Now, if you don't know, I want to help you know. And if you already know, I want to challenge you to focus. All right? What is your assignment? Now let me ask you a question. What is your assignment? You have, you have your big picture assignment, but how many of you know already what your assignment is for 2018? Okay, a little bit fewer. All right. How many of you know what your assignment is for next week? Okay. You see, focus is powerful because if my assignment is to build a house, okay, then I know first I have to build a foundation. Then I have to frame the building. Then I need to put a roof on that building. When you don't know your assignment, then you don't know where to begin. You know where you're headed. And so it's imperative for every person here 
to know their assignment. God is not playing hide and seek with us, all right? God is not hiding the truth from you. He wants you to know what he wants you to do. Listen, every person has an assignment and every church has an assignment. This church has an assignment. And it's different from the other churches in town. And your guys over here from Mathis, your church has an assignment. And it's different from the other churches in town. That's why you can't get distracted by other people doing their thing. Because if they're doing their assignment, that's them. You do what God assigned to you. You have to fulfill the assignment that God caused uh, for you to fulfill. Now, the assignment for all of us begins with the book of Genesis. So let's go to Genesis Chapter 1, pardon, chapter 3. Let me find myself here. Yeah, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. You got it? It reads, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God gave you authority over creeps. Say amen, somebody. Amen. All right. Now, that's, that's a good word, Pastor. Right. Look what you have going for you right there. You were made by God in God's image. You were given dominion, authority. All right. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God did what? Verse 28. What did he do? He blessed them. All right. So just think about that for a moment. This is what you have going for you. You're made by God. Good news, you did not come from an ape. Y'all believe that? You're not the result of Darwin's evolutionary theory. God made you. All right, that's the first thing. Then he, we were made in his image. He made you like himself. Now there's a lot of debate we could go into what that exactly means. A lot of discussion I should say. But really ultimately it means that God made us like himself. In that we can reason. We can think. We can create. And we can imagine. How many of you have a good imagination? That's what what if is about. It, that's why we flew these airplanes earlier. Because I want you to re be reminded of the fact that God made you to be creative. All of these airplanes up here are unique. Some of them fly. <laughs> Some of them, yeah, nose dive. Right? But every one of them is a result of your creativity. Now, if I give you another sheet of paper you probably get that plane to go a little further. And if I gave you a third sheet of paper, 
with some instructions, you could probably get that one to go a little further. And if I give you a fourth sheet of paper with, a, and with an engineer to explain to us how all of this works, we could probably make that sheet of paper go even further. Are you listening? God made you with the capacity to learn, to put what you learned into practice, to learn more things, to build, to create. Listen, you and I have been created by God and we have been given unlimited possibility. So that if you wake up this morning and say, what if I do start this ministry? What if I do start that business? What if I do go into that new direction? What if I do go and witness to that person? What if I do that you are walking with God in what he created you to be? To be like him. Listen, God didn't build the ark. All he did was he gave Noah the equipment. And anything you want to do for God, he's not going to give you the thing. He's going to give you the equipment. If, he's, if he wants you to write a book, he's going to give you a paper and a pen. If he wants you to build a church, he's going to give you brick and mortar, but he's not going to do it for us. That's why he made us in his image. He made us like himself. We have all of these attributes, the ability to think, to reason, to learn, to create, to imagine. And then he did this other thing that says that he blessed us. Man is blessed by God. He didn't bless the sun, the moon, the stars. He didn't bless the earth. He didn't bless the, the animals. He blessed you. God's blessing is on your life. Listen, church. God's blessing is on your life. That means that wherever you go, you have his favor. You have his support. You have his strength. You have his grace. And you have the ability to go and represent him and to do exploits for him. Because he has blessed your life. He has blessed your ministry. He has blessed your church. Nobody should walk around saying, I'm cursed. Forget it. If you are in Christ, you are blessed. If you are in Christ, the blessing of God, the blessing of God uh, the Bible says is the blessing of Abraham that that God blessed Abraham in every way. I was uh, talking to a pastor from Houston, and he said something that really just it, it grabbed my attention. I almost forgot everything else he said because he said, you know, he's an older gentleman, maybe in his mid seventies. He said, I I took my my grandchildren to the parade, the uh, the Astros. Uh, won the series, if y'all didn't know. And uh, and they had a parade. So he said, I took them out to the parade, and the sun was burning down on us. And, and he said, there was no place to stand. And he said, so I just kind of found, I found this little tree to stand near where there was a little bit of shade. 
And uh, he said, but because God's blessing follows me, there was a woman there that had a lawn chair that she wasn't using and a big umbrella. And she said, come here and sit right here. He said, so there I was sitting under this big umbrella. And I didn't hear the rest of the story, but all I heard was this, the blessing of God follows me. And I thought, you know what, I want to be in my 70s and still walk in the assurance that the blessing of God follows me. Come on, somebody. The blessing of God follows you. Wherever you go, if you're going into a negotiation for your business, say, the blessing of God follows me. Are you with me? All right, so this is what we have going for us. Then... We have this third thing, maybe the fourth thing, maybe the best, and that is relationship. First, we have relationship with God. He created man in his image and his likeness, and he gave him the blessing, and he enters into relationship with him. That's what sets you and I apart, friends, is that we have relationship with God. If you want to know your assignment, here's the first part of your assignment. Walk with God. Walk with God. Know him. Be in relationship with him. Because, listen, relationship with God is what feeds everything else. If you've been called to preach, relationship with God feeds your preaching. If you've been called to lead worship, relationship with God feeds your worship. If you've been called to build a business, your relationship with God is what's going to build and feed that business. When you walk with God, when you are in communion with him, you are entering into the highest calling that you and I could ever have. Oftentimes, though, this is the part that gets neglected. We get involved in the work and we forget the God of the work. We can't neglect this part. Because if you neglect this part, sooner or later, the other parts will start falling apart. This is the oil in the machine. Relationship with God is the oil in the machine. It's what makes this thing work. All right, so we have relationship with God. We also have relationship with the body. The body of Christ. So not only do we have relationship with God, but we also have the people of God that we are in relationship with. Relationship with the family of God. Now, th- I'm listening to you, all the things you have going for you right now. You realize you have a lot going for you? Amen. Right, now God gives some instruction here. Let's keep reading. God made man in his own image and his likeness. He created him and made him male and female. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So let's list these things. First, be fruitful. Then he says, multiply. (laughs) 
Then he says, fill the earth. And subdue it. These are the four parts of every one of us, of every one of our assignments. All right? Let's say them together. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Who's God talking to here? Us. Not just Adam and Eve. This is God talking to every human being, in particular, every one of his children. First thing he wants us to do is he wants us to be fruitful. That means produce. Produce. Your assignment is to produce fruit. Now, it... It's going to be different fruit depending on where you're living out your assignment. But every one of us in here has the ability to produce. God created you to produce, to make something, to leave something behind, to be fruitful. And if you and I are being fruitful, we are living up to our assignment. We're doing the thing God has called us to do. Now, some people um, produce some things and other people produce others. What does a church produce? Tamales. The best barbecue chicken in town. What does the church produce? Disciples. The church has to be a disciple-making machine. All right? That's the church. What does your, your life produce? What is it God has called you to make, to do, to be productive in, to bear fruit in? If you're a preacher, then you produce soul-winning messages. If you are a uh, Sunday school teacher, you produce soul-winning teaching. If you are a uh, businessman and your business produces brooms, you produce God-honoring brooms. What's a God-honoring broom, Pastor? It's a broom that doesn't fall apart. It's worth what people pay for it. If you're an employee, you produce everything you can for the hours you're being paid. That means you show up on time. You don't cut out early, and you don't steal the pencils, right? You, you don't check your Facebook while you're on the clock. You produce for that hour what you're being paid. God wants us to produce. There has to be a result from our life. And the, uh, the assignment is different for every person here. But if you're doing what God assigned you to produce, what God assigned you to do, don't worry about what someone else is doing. You say, well, they built a building. I built a broom. So what? 
You have to do what you were called by God to do. To produce the fruit that God put within you to produce. Because at the end of the day, if you're an orange tree, you're going to bear oranges. You're not going to bear apples. And if you get distracted with comparison, you're going to lose time and you're going to lose focus. You got to know, what did God call me to produce? What did God call me to, uh, to create? So right there in that part of your notes, just list the things God has called you to produce. If you, if you already know your assignment, then you should know this, this is easy. You got it? All right, second one is multiply. This is increase. Increase. God not only wants you to produce, but he wants you to produce a lot of it. He wants you to produce a lot of disciples. He wants you to produce a lot of new songs, a lot of books. He wants you to produce a lot of brooms. His, his mandate on, on Adam and Eve and on us is multiplication, that's increase. Now, there are three possible realities you and I can live under. And every one of these realities I'm going to mention are, are, are realities that people live under. The first reality could be this, God does not want me to increase. You know, there are people that live under that reality. It's like an umbrella over their life. And it says, God does not want me to grow. God wants to keep me down. God wants to keep me small. God wants to keep me insignificant. I'm cursed. I can't get out from under this thing. All right? And that reality is going to produce exactly that. Another reality you can live with is that Satan is blocking my increase. And this is like another umbrella over people's lives. It says, Satan's always stealing my harvest. The devil is always whipping me. I can't get ahead because that mean devil. All right, hopefully you're not living under either of these two realities. The last reality is that all things are possible with God. Amen. Increase is possible with God. Now let me just address that first reality. God doesn't want me to increase. Well, we already said God blessed them. He commands them to be fruitful. So God has commanded increase. Let me address the second reality. Satan is blocking my progress. Satan is stealing my harvest. Well, the Bible says that we have been given authority over Satan. 
And that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. How many of you believe that? So then those two realities are not an option for us. I'm not going to blame the devil anymore for what I don't have. Because he doesn't have the authority to take it from me. Come on, somebody. The devil doesn't have the authority to come into your house unless you let him. And so we have to live under this reality. Increase is possible because God is with me. Because God has blessed me. And now it means I have to be willing to go and to do the thing God has called me to do. Then we see here the third one is fill the earth. Now, this refers to uh, reinvestment. Or another word would be generosity. God wants you to produce. He wants you to grow. He wants you to increase. And he wants you to fill the earth. It's just like a tree that is filling the earth with its seed. And that seed produces another tree, that tree produces more fruit, and that fruit produces another seed, and on and on it goes. God is giving us an assignment, and that is to reinvest what he has invested in us. To distribute what he has put in us. The the desire of every believer ought to be to grow and to reinvest what God has invested in us. In us, Listen, if someone has invested time in you, then you need to invest time in somebody else. If, if someone has invested the word into you, you need to invest the word into somebody else. We were not called to just be a reservoir where things get accumulated in our life. The, the process of growth and of maturity in our assignment is when we realize I received this so that I could invest into the lives of other people. So that I could take the seed of the word that's been put in me and deliver it, put it into someone else's life. And uh, this, this is what I call generosity because it requires us to have a spirit that says, this doesn't belong to me. I've got to give it away. I've got to give it away. Listen, people need the church. People need the salt and the light that you and I bring. There is a deficit in our world created by sin. And God has put into us the word and the richness of his word so that as we sow that word into somebody else, we reinvest it into somebody else, we can produce more fruit for the kingdom of God. I want to challenge us as a church real quick and all of the churches who are here because a lot of times churches become a stopping place for fruit. They become a reservoir where things get collected, money gets collected, resources get collected, gifts and talents get collected, 
And then all the church becomes is a big bank with lots of potential, but no reinvestment. And that's not the, 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 wor- the way God designed his church. It's not what he created us to be, a place where we just accumulate riches. It's got to be a place where we are constantly living a life of generosity and investing in the life of the world around us. Uh, last year, a little bit before last year, they came to me with the opportunity of starting a uh, mobile food bank here at the church. And um, the, the, the issue was we needed volunteers and we needed money, right? That's usually what it takes, right? Volunteers and money. In order to have the mobile food bank, we needed to have at least 10 volunteers. That's what they told me, but really it's more like 30, which, which you really need. Uh, you need at least 10 volunteers, and, you gotta, and it costs $500 a month. All right. I thought, okay. They were all offering us this on a Tuesday morning. I said, okay, a Tuesday morning, my 10 volunteers are going to be all retired hermanas. <laughs> and we're not going to get very far unloading those pallets of food. Okay, with that. So I thought, okay, that's a problem. This could be a problem. And then $500 a month, I thought, wow, that's, that's $6,000 a year. And that's a big chunk of cash. It's a big commitment. But I knew that we had to seize this opportunity because we weren't called by God just to sit here and receive. We had to send out the resources. Uh, About six months before that, they brought me the idea of taking our vacation Bible school to the parks. And there was, again, another opportunity to take our resources out of here and put them somewhere else. Now, from the, from the mindset of the flesh, you might say, we need to keep all we can get. They say, get all you can and can all you get. Right? You just keep it. But that's not God's way. God's way is get all you can and give all you can. And when, when we uh, take those opportunities to reinvest, we start to see that God starts opening up other sources, other means of provision, other means of supply. And so you and I might look at it and say, I, I can't do any more. I can't give any more. But I'm challenging you this morning to invest what has been invested in you. It may be money, but it may not be money. It may be your time. It may be your word. It might be a good, a good word in good season. Whatever it is, if you keep it, you won't grow. You have to reinvest. You have to give. The same is true in the business, isn't it? Those of you who are uh, running a business, you know that if you don't take part of the profit that you make every year and reinvest it into making that business better, that it's going to decline. Is that right? 
You have to continually be reinvesting. So if it's true in that world, it's true in the spirit world as well. And then number four, he says, subdue. This is the dominion right here. Take over. You know what God's instruction is for Kingsway Church? Take over. What's God's instruction for Rafa House and Alabaster Jar? Take over. What's God's instruction for City of Refuge? Take over. Now, nobody's saying amen because that they're like, no, we're just, we're just an humble little church. We're just Kingsway Church. We're just an humble little church. But God's given us authority to take over. Listen, Kingsway, we have to be everywhere. We've got to be in the business world. We've got to be in the media world. We've got to be in the uh, government. We've got to be everywhere. Because we're salt and light. You guys have been called to take over. God has given the church the city. You believe that? I said God has given the church the city. That's why we are, uh, in our local context, that's why we are feeding the hungry, and that's why we are uh, being, being a, an asset to our community, because God has called us to take over. He's called us to be competitive. Now, that, I'm not talking about being competitive with other churches or other ministries. He's called us to be competitive against the kingdom of darkness. Why should, the, why should the devil have the best things? Why should he have the best buildings? Why should the world have the best things going and we're just getting along? Oh, we've got to be, we've got to take over and say we have been given authority to do the thing that has to be done to reach our culture, our generation, and to subdue the earth, to take charge, to take over. What does this mean? It means, this is going to be, if you had a hard time with takeover, it's going to be even harder to hear this one. It means take responsibility. What does takeover mean? It means take responsibility. (laughs) If someone, if someone is going to feed the hungry, going to have to be us. If someone's going to preach the gospel, it's going to have to be us. If someone is going to push back darkness, it's going to have to be us. You see, we have to take responsibility. I have to assume responsibility for Beeville. You have to assume responsibility for Mathis, for Kennedy. You have to assume responsibility for your place of influence. 
If you're in high school, you've got to assume responsibility for that school. If you're in college, you have to assume responsibility in that college. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, assume that if it's going to get done for God, it's going to have to come through you. Because City Hall's not going to do it. The Democrats aren't going to do it. The Republicans aren't going to do it. If it's going to get done, the church is going to have to do it. Come on, guys. We have to take over. Assume the responsibility and not just say, I wish somebody would. I wish somebody would do something about unwed mothers. I wish somebody would do something about the drug problem in Beeville. Or I wish somebody would do something about uh, drug addiction. I wish somebody would do something about these different areas of our community that are in such need. We are that somebody. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to join me in loving Beeville the way God loves Beeville. I want to challenge you to take responsibility for fulfilling our assignment in our city. To take responsibility for fulfilling your assignment in your city. Now that's the big picture, but let me talk about some other things. What about your assignment, your individual task. God says, take over. Take responsibility. Listen, if your business is going to grow, you have to take responsibility. If you're going to get that, if you're going to get that promotion in your company, you have to take responsibility. Do the part that belongs to you. If you're going to be a part of a ministry in this church or in your church, you got to take responsibility. It's getting quiet now. But you see, if I, if I walk through the, through the parking lot and I see a piece of trash on the parking lot, I could say, I wish someone would pick that up. I wish somebody would do this. I wish somebody would clean this up. Or I can assume responsibility and say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not a janitor. I'm not a custodian. I don't, even, I don't even own a lawnmower. But this needs to get done. We don't have time. We don't have the luxury of waiting around for somebody else to take responsibility. Listen, guys, God put you on the earth today, this season, not for you to wait for him to put somebody else on the earth, but for you to take responsibility over your sphere of influence and to take over, to subdue. There might not be a lot that you can do, but you do what you can with what you have where you are. Why? Because God has given us the spiritual authority to put devils in their place. To set things in order. 
And this would now brings me to my second point of focus, and that is the alignment. Alignment. How many of you have ever ridden a car that had bad alignment? We not only need to know our assignment, but we need to know our alignment. We need to have proper alignment. We need to be focused on where it is that we are going, what it is that God has called us to do. The Bible tells us a lot about God, and one of the things it tells us is that He is a God of order. So when we're talking about taking over, we're talking about setting things in order. Putting things into their proper alignment, to their proper place. If you're going to fulfill the assignment of God in your life, there's going to have to be order. There's going to have to be discipline. There's going to have to be an alignment of things. One of the first things we need to align is our attitude. Am I going to get any help this morning? How many of you have a bad attitude? This is not an altar call. Okay. Listen. What's your attitude like? Do you know when, you're in a, when you have a bad attitude? Or does someone have to tell you? If you're spiritual and you're mature, you can tell when you have a bad attitude. And you probably know I better leave the room right now. Or my attitude is going to get me into trouble. Listen, your attitude may be costing you. Your attitude might be costing you. This has to be kept in alignment. What is an attitude? An attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something typically reflected in a person's behavior. If you have a bad attitude toward a person, you could be having a great day until you run into that person, right? Then all of a sudden, you become rigid, uncomfortable. If you're going to stay focused, you got to keep your attitude in check. <coughs> you have to keep <coughs> your attitude in line with the will of God and the will and the, the purpose of God over your life. Now, just think about attitudes for a moment. Some attitudes are generational. Some of you have a bad attitude because your parents did. And they had one because their parents did. It's time to break that. Because I can't get where I'm going if I keep the attitude of the past. And because, listen, because you're made by God in God's image, blessed by him and have relationship with him, you can turn your attitude around. The Holy Spirit will get on you. And when he gets on you, he'll straighten that out. If you give him access to your life and to your heart. 
So our attitudes are going to be producing in us either what it takes to get where, where God has called us to go or it's going to delay us in being able to do that. When you think about Solomon's attitude, if you, if you run through Solomon's life, Solomon had uh, a particular attitude that developed over his life. And ultimately, it was an attitude of indifference to the word of God. There came a point in his life where he just didn't care anymore what God's word said. And the further he got away from that, he, he undid or he, he broke every one of the things God told him not to do. He did. Because he didn't keep his attitude in line. He had an attitude that pursued the passing pleasures of the moment. And so... I want to just challenge you with this. John Maxwell says this about an, an attitude. He says, an attitude is the advance man of your true self. Its roots are inward, but its fruit is outward. An attitude can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Your attitude is more honest and more consistent than your words. Isn't that true? Your attitude will give you away. Things, uh, the, an attitude can draw people or repel them. It is never content. An attitude is never content until it's expressed. An, an attitude is the librarian of your past. It is the speaker of your present and the prophet of your future. Let me read those last three again. An attitude is the librarian of your past, the speaker of your present, and the prophet of your future. Your attitude is telling us where you're headed. So that's important to get into alignment. It's important to get that into check. I have to do that. And I know that every person in here benefits from that. Sometimes you just, you're upset. You don't know why you're upset. Frustrated? You don't know why you're frustrated. And what you need to do is you need to go and get in a room with the Holy Spirit and ask him to set you straight. To line you up. It's just like a car that has a bad alignment. What do you do with it? You can keep driving it. Or you can take it to a shop and have them align it. It might cost you about 150 bucks, right? But when you're done, smooth sailing. Now, just think about this because this, this happened uh, recently to one of our vans here at the church. We had to get it aligned. It started shaking a little bit. But how does it get out of alignment? Wear and tear. Everyday life. Usually it's not one big pothole that gets your life out of alignment. It's just little things. The wear and tear. The daily road. 
the bumps and the hazards of everyday life. That's why it's so important for us to be walking in alignment with the Spirit of God. Because every day, things happen that kind of get us out of alignment. And if those go neglected, they go untreated, they become big problems. They become major issues when they could have been easy fixes. And so our heart has to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. See, if I'm going to focus, if I'm going to get where God called me to go, I have got to keep my attitude in line with the Spirit of God. And I've got to have the right attitude about uh, these things that are going on in my life. So here are some truths about attitudes. Attitudes are chosen. Say this with me. My attitude is a choice. That's important for you to know that. Your attitude is a choice. And it's affecting a lot of things. It's affecting a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of places maybe you don't even think about. How many of you have ever gone to a restaurant where the waiter had a bad attitude? Did you feel good about going back? No. It's my pet peeve to go up to my, my favorite fast food restaurant and hear, what do you want? Excuse me? I'm going to give you some of my money. You see how they're affecting everything around them? They're affecting the world that they that they are in. You and I can have a good effect or a, posit a positive effect or a negative effect with our attitude. So your attitude is a choice. You don't have to have a bad attitude. You don't have to have a negative disposition. Number two, attitudes are not caused by people or circumstances. Some people say, oh, well, I'd have a better attitude if, if I wasn't working with this person or if I didn't have to deal with these issues, these circumstances. No, your, your attitude is not a result of your circumstances. Number three, God disciplines bad attitudes and rewards good attitudes. God disciplines bad attitudes. Thank God he does. The Holy Spirit is the adjuster for our attitude. Philippians chapter 3 verse 15. It says, let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. And if anything, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. Let me read that again. As many as are perfect, that means if you're mature, have this attitude. And if anything is different, if you have a different attitude in anything, God will reveal it to you. 
That's a good prayer this morning. Lord, reveal any attitude I have in my life that is not pleasing to you. Look at these things that can affect your attitude. One, the wrong expectations. The wrong expectations. Leaders, we have to think about this, all right? If you have the wrong expectations, it can lead to having a bad attitude. If, if for instance, if, if a husband expects there to be dinner on the table when he walks in from work, and he walks in and there's no dinner, he has a choice, right? Bad attitude or a good attitude. Now, maybe it's the wrong expectation. Say amen, hermanas. Because maybe, maybe he didn't leave any money for dinner, for groceries. Oh. Or maybe, maybe he sent her on several errands. They didn't give her time. Right? Or maybe he showed up an hour early and she wasn't ready. So all of those variables could have come into play there. But the wrong expectations lead to a bad attitude. And if you're going to stay focus on getting your assignment done, you're going to have to have God's expectations and not man's expectations. Another uh, uh, thing that kills our attitude is comparison. Somebody else got a new car, now you have a bad attitude. Wait a minute. What does that have to do with you? How come somebody else getting ahead means you have to be grumpy? We have to realize that comparison is a trap of the enemy. And he wants you to fall into it and um, get distracted. Another uh, attitude killer is entitlement. I'm entitled to this. I deserve this. Another is pride. Another is bitterness, self-pity. All of these things will crash your attitude. And as a leader, you need to be on top of those things, having that sense of entitlement or pride can lead to having the negative attitude. These are some things that build your attitude. Are you ready? Gratitude. Faith. Forgiveness, respect, contentment. If you ever notice you're having a bad attitude, start thanking God for what you do have. See, as a pastor, I could say, I just don't have the right people. They don't like to show up on time. Or I could say, Lord, I thank you because I have good people. And even though they don't show up on time, 
they show up. Thank you, Lord, that they showed up. And even though they don't always know exactly what to do, they have the right spirit about how to learn it. And they have a faithful heart. And they do it with their, with their best. You see, you can turn the same situation around and just create an attitude of gratitude rather than complaint. Humility says, God, I thank you for what I have. And I thank you for what I will have. I may not be there yet, but I'm going to get there. All right. Look at what God says to us about all this. Someone wants to speak up over here. I know the thoughts I have towards you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, let me spend the last few minutes here talking about authority. All right? We have to get our assignment right and we have to get our alignment right. We have to know what am I doing and how am I going to get there. And when you have aligned your attitude with the Spirit... And he checks you. He creates in you a, a, uh, a discipline for righteousness. Now you can begin to walk in authority. All right? What is authority? I want to speak specifically about moral authority real quick. This might be uh, the hardest hitting part of this message because it's the most important. If you're going to get where God wants you to go, you're going to have to have authority. You have to walk in authority. And authority is the alignment between your belief, uh, pardon, moral authority is the alignment between your belief and your behavior. When your beliefs line up with your behavior, that's called moral authority. And moral authority is being lost by the church right now. Uh, one of the greatest tragedies of our generation is that, that the church is losing its moral authority. Why is that, Pastor? Because we say one thing, but we do another. And there's no alignment between what we believe and what we do. And this is going to crash. Listen, this will crash your, uh, your plans for family. It will crash your plans for the church. It will cr cr crash your plans for ministry. If what comes out of your mouth and what you do with your life are not the same, you will lose authority. And so there not only needs to be an, an understanding of your assignment, also your alignment, but there needs to be uh, a walking out, a fleshing out of the things that you believe, that you say. 
Credibility is earned not by what you say, but by what you do. And if you want to have authority in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to have authority with the kingdom of darkness, if you want to have influence and authority with people, you have to live what you preach. You remember in the book of Acts, there were the sons of Sceva. They tried to cast out a demon. And the demon said, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but who are you? You have no authority. There's an inconsistency between what you say and what you do. And this will always damage your leadership. This will always damage your ability to achieve Uh, Great things in any organization. So there are three ingredients here that produce moral authority. The first one is character. Character. What is character? But commitment to God's standard values and principles. That's what character is. It's commitment to God's standards, values, and and principles. It's a commitment to living like the Word of God. And I have to challenge us on this because the church has to have Christian character. It has to have a backbone of Christian character. The church has to know there are some things we don't do. There are some ways we don't live, some ways we don't act, some things we do not allow. And where there is no character, sooner or later, that foundation is going to begin to crumble. And the the moral authority of the church rests upon us doing what God has taught us to do. Listen, guys, character is developed through testing. It's developed through through struggle, through trials. Your character, my Christian character isn't put on the line when everything is easy. My Christian character is put on the line when things are tough. When it's easier to lie than to tell the truth. That's when your character is being put to the test. When it's easier to Steal than it is to give or to pay. That's when your character is being put to the test. And I want you to be a body of leaders, not only in our community and in our churches, uh, but uh, a body of leaders in our world that when people look at us, they know that we do what we say, that we practice what we preach. Third, and the second ingredient is sacrifice. Moral authority not only comes through Christian character, but it comes through sacrifice. You know, there are a lot of people who want a lot, but they're not willing to sacrifice anything. Never expect somebody else to sacrifice more than you do for your assignment. It's your assignment. And 
if you want to have a, an excellent, let's, let's just go down the line here. If you want to have excellence in preaching, you're going to have to sacrifice time and, and other opportunities to go and get in that study and get in the word and dig and pray and hear from God. If you want to have a, a, a class A, a worship ministry, you're going to have to sacrifice some things. There are going to be some things you can't allow into your, into your life. You're going to have to say, these things are more important because I want to do, I want to build what God has called me to build. I want to do what God has called me to do. And that uh, sacrifice is often easier, listen leaders, it's easier to ask for it from other people. But moral authority begins when it comes from you. I'm the first to give up. My time. My effort. My strength. Sometimes I'll, I'll go visit a church and five minutes till the service, the band is arriving, tuning their guitars. And I think, you want, you want to lead me into a sacrifice of praise, but you couldn't sacrifice a few minutes extra to get here on time and be ready yourself? You're telling me something. You're telling me that you want me to invest in your assignment, but you're not investing in your own assignment. It begins there. How much are you willing to sacrifice? And then the third ingredient is time. Moral authority comes through long-term continuous commitment to living what you say. Listen, I could give you a title this morning, but it wouldn't get you anywhere. Because it takes time for people to follow you. It takes time for people to to see what you are living and say, I want, I want to follow that guy. I want, to, I want to go that route. So if you got saved last Sunday, don't expect to preach this Sunday. Okay? If you, if you got uh, enrolled in Bible school in uh, August, it's not time for you to teach yet. Moral authority is developed over time. And it's developed as, as people watch you as a leader and they see you that you do, the, you do the right thing on the little things consistently. And that begins to develop authority that, that you can now speak into people's life because what they see in you is what they hear coming out of your mouth. And they see that you do what you say and you walk the walk. You carry out in your life, in the small things, little things, the character of God, the character of Christ in every aspect of your life. Now, I want to uh, stop there because I have one more thing I want us to do. If you guys would help me pass these out, please. I want to I challenge you uh, to write some things down this morning. Uh, J.D., would you help us out there, please? Yeah, come on. Do we have enough of these? All right.
Let me have one. Thank you. All right. At the top of this is my assignment or my vision. I want you to begin to fill in there what is your assignment. Okay, if you know what it is, most of you raised your hands when I asked you if you knew what your assignment was. Write that in there. Give you a little moment to write. What is your assignment? I want everyone in this church to know what their assignment is. And to be able to articulate it. If you were to ask me, Pastor Isaac, what is your assignment? You know I have a lot of jobs, right? But you know what my assignment is? Develop Christian leaders. That's my assignment. Now, you're going to see me express that through the pastorate, through denominational leadership, through Bethel Seminary, but it's all one assignment. Develop Christian leaders. So I want you to be able to... Just like that, know what is your assignment. Right, so most of you already said you knew. Just jot that down in there. What is your assignment? Pastor, I didn't know we were going to have to think this morning. Did, we, did everybody get one? Y'all still waiting? Okay. We need a few more over here. If you don't have one yet, just write on a piece of paper there. Now, if you have 14 assignments on your list, you probably don't know what your assignment is yet. Okay, you got to focus. That's our question this morning. What if you focused? All right. Now, are we ready? All right, good. All right, let's look at this next question because we're running out of time here. What could you do? That would guarantee that you never see your vision materialize. Right, this is the negative side. What could you do that would guarantee that you never see your vision materialize? It might be something you're doing now. Right? If you have a, yeah, you're giving up or you have a negative attitude, unbelief, stop coming to church. Yeah, all right. What was that? Somebody else? Okay, listening to the wrong voices. Nothing? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely right. Okay, break your relationship with God. Wrong expectations. Okay. Repeat your mistakes. Okay, write those down because those are important. I not only need to know what I'm going to do, but I need to know what I'm not going to do. 
All right. Number three, what is the potential of your vision for the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom potential behind your assignment? What's that? All right, good. God's potential. What's, what's the potential of, for the kingdom? Let's say you're making, you're rebuilding houses, right? So what's the potential for the kingdom in that? Right? You're writing songs. So what's the potential for the kingdom in that? What's the kingdom potential? Yeah, save families. What was that? It, okay, it's endless, but I want you to write it down specifically. Okay, what is the outcome for the kingdom of God? All right, write it down, write it down. I want something specific, though, for your assignment. Okay, what does that look like? What does the kingdom of God get out of this? It's big, isn't it? Yeah. All right, somebody want to share? I want specifics, all right? I don't want big general statements. God's going to get the glory. That's too, that's too general. All right, what is the potential of your assignment? Brother Mondo, did you figure it out? Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Disciples. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Great. More homes for women and men. That's your heart's desire. All right. Feeding the homeless. Okay. Nathaniel, turn your school upside down. All right. Great. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. All right. What I want you to see in this last one is that at the end of the day, you fulfilling your assignment is, is kingdom business. It's kingdom business. If Brother Mondo builds a construction company, if Brother Riley has a mechanic shop, and Brother Josh has a dry cleaner, and you guys do your, your work and your career, and uh, these guys over here build a church or old homes for the homeless, and yes, sir. And Brother Joe's in the cattle business. At the end of the day, if we're all on our assignment, we're doing kingdom business. Because uh, the result, the fruit of that, it's either going to, it's either going to uh, proclaim the message of the kingdom or fund the message of the kingdom, or it's going to. Uh, advance it in, in one way or another. So is it worth then focusing? 
Is it worth getting your laser beam focus on what God has for you to do? All right, I want to stand together. Uh, if y'all could, uh, Brother Hermano Jose, pueden mover esto, por favor. Uh, there's paper airplanes all over the place this morning. Just leave it there, Jimmy. It's all right. But what I want you to do is I want you to make a commitment this morning of your heart to focus on your assignment, to focus on what God has called you to do. I know that this morning's time was uh, its not preaching time, it's teaching time. And I wanted to challenge you, assignment, alignment, authority. Assignment, alignment, authority. Do you know what your assignment is? Are you focused on it? And so just right there in, in this moment, let's give the Lord our attention, our focus. Just tell him, Lord, I want to fulfill my assignment. I want to focus. And what I want to ask is that the Lord this morning would give you the wisdom, the discernment to know what are the things I've got to cut out so that I can meet or reach my assignment, fulfill my assignment. You know, there might even be some good things in your life that are robbing you of your focus. It might be a harmless thing, something that doesn't bother anybody, doesn't have anything good or bad about it. But if it's robbing you of your focus, it's keeping you from accomplishing your mission for God. Let's lay it down this morning. Let's ask the Lord to give us discernment, to give us the ability to sharpen our focus. He says... Keep the assignment. Fulfill the assignment that you've been given. Fulfill the mission you've been given. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning full of this assurance, of this hope that you've given us this morning that we can do what you have called us to do. That you are, you have made us, you have made us in your image, you have blessed us, and you have given us relationship with you, and that we have been given an assignment by the Almighty God, a kingdom work to do. Lord, we pray against now, against distraction, against everything that would keep us away from accomplishing and doing the thing which you have called us to do. We ask you, God, to give us a, a light that leads directly to you, Lord, a focus that leads directly to you. Your word says to keep our eyes on Jesus. This is a desire of our hearts right now. I pray against disturbances and distractions in the spirit of the church. I pray against every power of the enemy that would seek to tell us that we are too late, that it can't be done, that our moment has passed, that we don't have the opportunity, that we don't have the resources. We declare we are on time. We are on God's time. This is our season. This is our moment. We will accomplish the work 
that God has for us to accomplish. We will set our eyes upon the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, we want to fulfill our assignment. We want to be fruitful. We want to multiply. We want to fill the earth. We want to subdue it. We want to take responsibility for the things that you have put in our life, in our generation. No longer will we sit and say, I wish somebody would do something. But we will stand up and we will do that which you have called us to do by your might and power. Come on, just make that commitment of your heart to the Lord this morning. Just say yes to him. Say yes to him. Lord, give us the grace to be consistent. To consistently do those things which you have desired for us to do. To discipline ourselves by the Spirit of God. Father, we pray for a discipline in our attitude. That we would have the attitude of the Spirit.